Hello, and welcome to your next episode of Fixing Fitness with Kelly, the show that serves up real talk about fitness with a focus on why traditional fitspo just doesn't serve women in their 30s. Let's talk about what we can really do to get results that make all the effort worth it. Get more on the website at kellymarieroach.com, including exclusive access to my head-to-toe mobility routine when you download my free guide to the five worst exercise cues in the fitness industry. And tune into the Kelly M. Roach YouTube channel for weekly videos offering fresh perspectives on fixing fitness topics. What's up, you guys? Welcome back for episode three of Fixing Fitness with Kelly. First, before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to say thank you again to those of you who have found the podcast, started listening, and continue coming back. It seems like you guys really enjoyed me geeking out over the goal setting last week when we dove really deep into some papers that I had read, getting into the science of goal setting and some of the psychology behind it and what drives those behavioral changes. So I thought this week I would take a dive into another sort of geek out fest this week around wearable devices, um, kind of challenging the widely accepted philosophy that they are motivational and that they can really drive you to change some of your behaviors and get fit. And instead, the angle that I'm taking this week is basically asking the question, are they as good for us as the marketing claims? So... Thank you for tuning in, and without further ado, let's get into Season 1, Episode 3. My first wearable device was a Fitbit HR that my husband gave me for my birthday in 2015. Since then, I have also owned an Apple Watch Series 3, and I currently own a Series 7. I recognize that these are now probably among some of the most basic fitness tracking devices that are available. It seems like everything from rings to subscription-based bracelets are now on the market for those who want to measure and track their diet and exercise habits, ostensibly with the goal of improving physical health. But what I started to notice was that those hourly nudges to get up and move and the passive-aggressive suggestions that I, quote, check my rings, was making me focus more on the numbers and less on my body. And it got me thinking about periods of my adult life when I felt the most fit, the most healthy, and had the most energy. And I realized that during those periods, I actually wasn't tracking anything, and I didn't own a wearable device. Looking back at my physical stats at the time, I was actually healthier, had better blood work numbers, a smaller waist circumference, and a better body fat percentage than I have now after a year of wearing a fitness device more or less daily. I also recall having amazing energy levels and always feeling like my workouts were more than enough. I never questioned whether I was working hard enough, long enough, burning enough calories, or hitting a high enough heart rate. In contrast, recently I've noticed that I feel disappointed if I burn fewer calories during one workout than another. This is true even when that should be the expected outcome. So for example, generally you will burn fewer calories doing an upper body resistance training session than you will during a lower body training session. And on those days, I find myself feeling like I need to make up for not having burned those calories during my workout, whether that's by adding some sort of cardio or going for an afternoon walk. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing that a device motivates me to take an afternoon walk. However, I do think it's a bad thing that a compulsion to close the red ring is what makes me take a walk rather than cues from my body telling me that it feels like getting some fresh air and movement. 
I talk a lot about how by your mid-30s, you've disassociated yourself from your body in multiple ways. And I was starting to think that my watch was maybe making the problem worse. This compulsive behavior and feelings of guilt and inadequacy based on the metrics from my fitness device really made me take a step back to consider the mental toll it was taking and whether it was inhibiting my physical health and overall well-being. I looked into some scientific studies that have been conducted examining the impact of wearable devices on mental health. Much of the evidence that supports their use demonstrates the benefits of empowering the individual with knowledge about their health and fitness levels. Having immediate and private access to basic metrics about their diet and exercise motivates many individuals to take control of them and improve them if necessary. And over time, this has a net positive impact on their mental health, even if at first there is an increase in psychological distress as they're faced with the challenge of improving their fitness. On the other hand, there are also many studies that show this gradual climb to mental health through self-empowerment isn't true for everyone. In fact, in many cases, wearable device users continue to suffer from psychological distress. This often manifests in the form of disordered eating and compulsive behavior related to diet and physical activity. So I asked the question, are wearable devices too much of a good thing? I will openly admit that there have been mornings when I am down in the basement, ready to lift, and I realize that I have left my watch on its charger two floors up where my husband is still asleep. And I have interrupted my workout to go upstairs and get my device so the move points count. If you worked out without wearing your device, did you even work out? This mentality of needing to get credit for the good things I do for my body really caught me off guard. Last week, I talked a lot about goal setting and the way people tend to seek external accolades as validation or credit for ways they're trying to improve themselves. And at least in that scenario, it's expected that people want approval from other people as part of maintaining their place within a social construct. But what benefit was I getting from seeking validation from a technological device? This is where the line of demarcation is drawn. Are you really using your wearable device to help you better track and understand your own physical fitness? Or is it just one more way for you to get a pat on the back because you checked a box? If I step back and just look at what's best for my body and my mental health, I can think of a few things right off the bat that my device actually make worse. The first is that they don't account for rest days. I've read blog posts about how you can manually go into the health app on your phone and essentially trick your watch into thinking you've closed your move ring so you don't disrupt your activity streaks. If that isn't a hard and fast example of the type of obsessive behavior I'm talking about, I don't know what is. Regardless of how you get your exercise, rest days are essential. But my watch doesn't know what is and isn't a rest day. So on days that I'm not clocking in to record a workout, my watch tells me to check my rings or review my activity levels for the day as a gentle reminder that I need to get off my ass. It is absurd the pressure I feel to do exactly that because a watch told me to. The second thing that comes immediately to mind when it comes to ways my wearable negatively impacts my mental health is the sharing feature. So I have a close friend who has lived out of state for a few years now, and she works hard at staying fit. She trains for marathons, she does jujitsu, among weight training and other types of activities. So we started sharing our workouts with each other as a fun way to stay in touch and keep each other motivated even though we're far apart. 
I tend to exercise in the mornings while she tends to find time after work in the evenings. Even if I had what I felt was a great workout and exceeded my move goal throughout the day with extra activity around the house or outside, if I got a notification that she had had a massive workout and had blown past what I'd achieved for the day, my negative self-comparison would kick in and suddenly what I'd thought was a great day of activity was no longer good enough. The third feature that knocks my mental health is the reminder to stand up. First of all, I question whether there really is any benefit to just standing up for one minute out of an hour aside from getting one more point toward closing your blue ring. I'm actually going to talk about that a little bit in next week's episode. And on days when I'm in long meetings on a roll with a podcast or editing a video, the reminder is nothing but a distraction. It pulls just enough mental energy to be annoying, like a fly that won't leave your entree alone at an outdoor patio. So with all of this in mind, I decided a week ago to stop wearing my device. The first thing I had to overcome was the guilt about wasting the money. You spend hundreds of dollars on an accessory, you really ought to put it to use. But I really wanted to see if I could return to my historical levels of health, energy, and fitness if I called it quits on the obsessive tracking. I went back to doing workouts that I previously swore by but had gotten away from because my wearable device told me they didn't burn as many calories as traditional weightlifting. Within a week, my total workout time was back to less than 30 minutes a day instead of creeping up over an hour a day. I was enjoying a variety of movements and modalities again, and I was able to slow down and zero in on that all-important mind-muscle connection that I'd sacrificed for so long in favor of pounding out as grueling a workout as possible to get credit for it on my watch. A week is too short of a time frame to tell what the long-term results could be, but for now, the most important thing I can report is that I'm trusting my body to tell me how much exercise is enough. I don't decide a workout's worth based on how many calories it burned, and I no longer negatively compare what I'm working on to what my friend or anyone else is doing. But that's just my personal experience. As I mentioned earlier, there is a sizable body of evidence demonstrating that wearable devices as a direct-to-consumer health technology increase physical activity levels and health expectancy in those who use them. It's not hard to see how these things could be beneficial, not just for physical health, but mental health as well. Physical activity and improved health expectancy could contribute to better self-esteem, confidence, and general optimism. So where is the inflection point when a good thing becomes harmful? In pursuit of an answer to this question as it relates to health and wellness activities, I found a fascinating paper published in the Journal of Chronic Diseases and Translational Medicine back in 2016. The author closely examined the varying theoretical models of how exercise addiction, or EA, develops. Six theories were reviewed, ranging from psychological to biological to biopsychosocial. The author isn't shy about pointing out the holes in each of them, but they all present theories for how and when healthy exercise crosses over to addictive behavior. A few of them talk about how initial pleasurable experiences with physical exercise may develop into compulsively seeking that hit from the pleasure system of the brain. In a discussion about differentiating EA from healthy frequent exercise, the author said this. On the exercise addiction inventory questionnaire, both EA individuals and elite athletes would tick yes on its six items, but their interpretations differ. For example, regarding the item, 
exercise is the most important thing in my life, the interpretation of an exercise-addicted person might be that he or she cannot manage his or her life without exercise. Whereas from the perspective of athletes, they might just want to achieve their sport goals and become stronger and better. It is reasonable to assume that the astonishingly high prevalence of EA in the regular exercise population is partly caused by their confusingly different interpretations. To avoid possible misunderstandings, it is important to investigate if individuals have underlying disorders such as eating disorders and self-image or self-esteem problems that are related to EA. I've included the citation for this paper in the show notes, so if you're interested in reading it yourself, you can. But for me, I had two big takeaways. The first is that the interpretation of EA is largely subjective. None of the theoretical models put forward could be reliably and repeatably applied across a wide range of demographics, and self-reporting is skewed by individual perspective. The second and perhaps more important takeaway for me is the inference that other psychological risk factors such as eating disorders, poor self-image, and low self-esteem, among other disorders mentioned in the paper, may have significant impact on whether a person is prone to developing EA. I imagine that individual experience with wearable devices is similar. At first, those notifications that you closed all three rings not only provide a means to track how active you were that day, they also give you a little hit from the pleasure centers of the brain, a chemical pat on the back. Over time, as is theorized with exercise addiction, the need to close those rings almost becomes a compulsive behavior. It isn't about the activity tracking it represents anymore. Now it's about getting your fix, if you will. Now we are chasing that good feeling pat on the back rather than the healthy lifestyle that we initially targeted. This perspective may seem extreme, and as I already mentioned, some people may be more susceptible to this than others. But if you are someone who straps on a wearable device daily to track your activity, I ask you, do you think you could go for a week without it? So that's it for today's podcast, you guys. I hope that this gave you some new things to think about if you're somebody who uses wearable devices, if you really are out there trying to meet certain activity goals every day, if you're just doing it out of habit at this point, or if maybe you're sliding into this compulsive need to close your rings or whatever your device's tracking mechanisms are. I will be back next week with a topic that I am very, very excited about. I'm going to be digging into the question of whether you can out-train a desk job. And if you've read any articles about this in the past, you might be very surprised by some of what I found in my research for next week's podcast. So subscribe, make sure you're tuned in for when that drops next Monday. And if you've listened to a few episodes and you've been enjoying, if you could take a second and leave a review for the show, that would really help continue pushing it out to new listeners so we can grow this community of those of us trying to fix fitness over 35. Thanks so much for tuning in and I will talk to you guys soon.